See if you can find the book of Haggai if you have a Bible with you. Uh, we're going to be looking at Haggai chapter 2. Um, let's see. Whoa, here we go. Um, I want to start by just saying that there are a lot of us, we're, we're talking about dealing with disappointment, and there are a lot of us who are ensnared by disappointments from our past. There are things that have been done to us. There are things that we have done in the past that continue to hurt us, that continue to stay with us, that continue to act almost like a cloud that is over us. Uh, And these things can define us. These things can create messages and voices in our heads that say things about who we are. They say things about our lives. They say things about our present and our future. Uh, They set limitations on us. Uh, They're incredibly strong. And it's hard to break free. It's hard to get a new beginning. And this is why we're reading the book of Haggai. This is a book that was written 2,500 years ago. And yet, as we've been going through this week by week, we're, I mean, people have, they come up to me almost on a weekly basis and they say, I can't believe this book that was written so long ago seems to speak so directly to where I'm at right now. And uh, in this book, in this chapter, in chapter 2, we're learning how to deal with disappointment. Uh, And specifically, uh, in this passage from the Bible, we're going to see this. We're going to see how God deals with disappointment. He's honest about the past and hopeful about the present future. Okay? That's what we're going to see today. That God is honest about the past and he is hopeful about the present and future. And so let's read Haggai 2, verses 10 through 19. Um, And as we do this, we're going to look at what this meant for ancient Israel and then talk about what it means for us today. And so, let's see if I can find it. Okay, here we go. Um, This is Haggai 2, verses 10 through 19. Friends, this is God's word. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, Does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, It does become unclean. And then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider... From this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, 
from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is God's word. And so what we're going to see again is that God is honest about the past and hopeful about the present and future. Okay, I want you to see first how God addresses the past. Let's look now into your bulletin. The scriptures that we're looking at are there. Um, There's also a place to take notes if you want to see that or if you want to take notes. Look at, at verse 14. God says, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. So God is saying everything that they do, everything that their hands touch, all that they offer to me is unclean. And as I read this, I think, dang. Like this is kind of harsh. Um, God is, in a sense, he's getting in their kitchen, and he is reminding them, he's bringing honesty to them about their past, okay? And for many of them, this past was literally a few months away. There are maybe two or three months from this past that God is describing. God says that all you did, all you did was unclean. Everything that you've done was, was defiled, and it's because you ignored me. God is saying the reason for this is because um, with everything that you were doing, it was under the umbrella of the fact that you did not build a temple for me. It's what you were supposed to do. It's what you knew you were supposed to do, and yet you stopped. You stopped building the temple. You ignored me. You walked away from me. And so because of that, because you lived your life ignoring the most important thing in our relationship, which is a place for me to dwell in your midst, it's a place for you to come and to commune with me, everything that you've done is defiled. And so God is coming here. He's being honest about the past because he wants to set them free. He wants to set them free. But they're ignoring God has made everything that they do defiled, unclean. It's like the the sins that we commit actually stain us. They make us unclean in the sight of God. They're like black ink poured into the water of our souls. And it affects everything. I mean, the reason why everything was bad and all that they did was bad is because they were disobeying. They walked away from God. This is like someone who is committing adultery. Okay, this might sound kind of harsh because you're like, well, yeah, okay, fine. So I'm not exactly doing what God wants, but I'm a good person, right? How many people do you know would say that? They're like, I'm a good person. I don't have a relationship with God the way that you describe it, but I think I'm a pretty good person. And so I think God will... Accept me. I think I'm good in God's sight, even though I don't have a relationship with him. I think this is kind of like someone who is committing adultery. So think about a man who's cheating on his wife. Um, And possibly because of the guilt that he feels, when he's home with his wife, 
he's incredibly loving to her. To assuage the guilt that he feels about what else he's doing, he is kind. He, he, I mean, he's, he speaks well to her. He serves her. He takes care of things in the house. Right? He's really loving. What do you think about that? I mean, would you say he's a loving spouse? Would you say he's a loving husband? Would you say that he's good with his wife? You think his wife would think, oh, man, well, just because you're doing all these things for me, therefore, you know what, the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. The fact that we don't have a real relationship, the fact that you're cheating on me, the fact that you have a secret life, oh, that doesn't matter. Of course not. Of course not. In the case with a man with a husband who's committing adultery, like none of that matters because of the double life. There's no real love there. What's actually happening is that man is living for himself. And so everything that he does in the marriage is unclean. It's defiled. This is what God is saying. God is saying the principle here is that if we don't have a relationship with God, then none of the good things that we do impress him. They don't impress him. Uh, They don't please him. And so... Again, people who think, well, I'm a good person, I do all these good things, I, you know, I can earn God's favor, and the bad news of this passage is no, it doesn't earn favor with God. Um, God says, look, first, do we have a relationship? Do you care about me at all? Or am I just an afterthought? I know for me in my own life, uh, this was a description of me with God. I obeyed when it was convenient for me. I did what God said when what God said lined up with what I wanted to do. And when I obeyed, I was really impressed with myself. I thought I was a great person. But if it wasn't convenient, I would simply do what I wanted to do. I mean, is that a good person? Is that love for God? Is that a relationship? not. Jesus even says in the Gospels, he says, why do you say that you love me and you don't do what I command? And I love that he says it that way because he ties love in with obedience. For Jesus, it's not, hey, if you do enough stuff, then you can say that you love me because you can earn my love back. No, no, no. Jesus says, like, look, obedience is part of a relationship. Obedience is one of the ways that we show God that we care about what he says. And so we can't say that we love God. We can't say that we have a relationship with God if we don't do what he asks us to. And this is what the Bible quiz is about in verse 13. Actually, verses 11 to 13. He says, go ask the priest about the law. Someone carries holy meat. Does that transfer? Um, the, the point here is it's talking about what's contagious. Okay, That's what verses 11 to 13 are about. It's, it's what is contagious. And asking is holiness contagious. If you have something that's holy and you're carrying it around and you happen to touch something else that's not holy, does that thing that's not holy become holy? And he says, no. The priests know better. They know the Bible teaches this. That, uh, that holy things, when they touch things that aren't holy, don't make those things holy. 
So holiness is not contagious. But is uncleanness contagious? And the answer is yes. Unclean things that touch non-unclean things make them unclean. And God is saying, this is my people. They are unclean because they've walked away from me. And now everything that they touch is also unclean. Same is true with us. When we don't have a relationship with God, when we are ignoring God, when there are things in our lives that we don't, um, where we just don't want to obey God, um, that defiles everything else that we do. And God pushes a little bit deeper. Um, and he asks the question in verses 15 to 17. He's saying, when you think about that past, what were you getting out of it? How was life back then? The answer is, well, it was frustrating, it was disappointing, and it was awful. And so God says, look, listen, I just want to remind you. Do you remember what life has been like for the last 18 years? Do you remember what life was like from the moment that you stopped building the temple? It was empty, right? It was hollow. You'd think you earned enough, but when you went to take what you earned, it wasn't enough. Right? That's what he means uh, in verse 16. He says, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. And so if you had 20 measures of crops that you know were 20 measures... When you put them there, when you stored your crops, you stored 20 measures, and yet when you went to go get them to eat, there were only 10. Because the rest were blighted or mildewed. It says when you went to, the, you went to your 50 measures of, of wine, there were only 20. God says, And you thought you had enough, but it never seemed to be enough. You always wanted more. You always needed more. You were never satisfied. God says, you remember that? Do you remember life back then? God says, that is what happens when you walk away from me. These are the natural consequences of cutting yourself off from me. God says, I will make life. Um, I, I give life, I give abundance, I give grace, I give blessing, I give joy, I give peace. I'm the author of these things. All these things exist because of who I am. I am love and joy and peace. I am patience. I'm self-control. I'm power. And the reality is that when you cut yourself off from me, you cut yourself off from all of those things. When love dries up in your life, like, of course it will. You cut yourself off from me. When peace dries up in your life, of course it will, because you've cut yourself off from me. And God is talking specifically to his people who are acting as though they, aren't, they don't have a relationship with him. They're acting like they're not his people. And so this helps us to understand that this speaks to both people today who are Christians and who are not Christians. I mean, it speaks to non-Christians because... If you're living your life apart from God, then the blessings that come from God, God can remove those blessings because they come from him. They flow from a relationship with him. And as Christians, there are times in our lives when we disobey. There's times in our lives when we don't want what God wants. And we create walls between us and God. 
And when we do that, these blessings also dry up in our lives. You might be a child of God, but you may live as though you're an orphan. You may live as an orphan because you have cut yourself off from God. You've unplugged from God. You're not spending time with him. You're not living your life in his presence for his glory. And what's striking here is verse 17 explains that God is the one behind the lack of satisfaction and the lack of enough. God says, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. God is saying, like, I was the reason why you went for 20 measures and there were 10. You went for 50 measures and there were 20. It was because of me. I struck you and all your work with disease, uh, with problems. And so the reason why life wasn't good is because God is saying, I kept it from being good. I mean, this is a part of God's character that we need to come to grips with. It's what he says here in verse 17. I did it. I struck you. I made it so that you didn't have enough. Why? Why would God do this? I think it's because of this. Friends, God doesn't want us to be happy apart from him because eternally there is no happiness apart from him. And so this is an active discipline. This is God actively disciplining his children so that they would come back. So that they would realize, oh man, life isn't good. Hey, maybe I should pray about this. Maybe I should come back and ask God, hey God, is there anything that I'm doing or not doing that I should be doing? Maybe I should take my disappointment into the presence of God and maybe God would say, what's happening here is that you cut yourself off from me. And as you do that, disappointment rises because nothing satisfies. And the harder you work, the more frustrating it gets, the more disappointed you get because without me, life is not designed to be satisfying. Now, that's, that's not true for everyone. right? This doesn't mean that every bad thing is God disciplining us. Okay, um, We've seen, we just saw last week, actually, that one of the ways God deals with disappointment is by telling us, look, I know that it's bad now, but just hold on. Keep following me. Stay faithful because in just a little while, I'm going to open up the heavens and rain down blessing on you like you would not believe. And so for some of us, we're in that place of waiting. We're in that place where we, just, we, we pursue God and we hold on to him and we stay faithful. We spend time with him, right? And as we do that, we wait for God to open up heaven. Right? We, wait God, we wait for God to show us his purpose in the midst of it. But then for some of us, we've cut ourselves off from God. And God wants to tell us today that he's the one behind your disappointment because he doesn't want you happy without him. I experience this personally in my own life. When I have sin that I'm not confessing, when I have things that I don't want to deal with, and I go into the presence of God, I feel distant from him. And a lot of that is because 
when I begin to pray and I say, God, I'm here, Lord, I need to pray about something or I want to talk to you about something, God says, Stephen, I am excited to see you. You know I love you. I'm your dad. You're my son. Are you going to deal with this? Or are we just going to act like that's not standing in between you and me? And I think, well, Lord, sometimes I think, um, you know what, i got to go. I think I have my to-do list. I really need to work hard. I've got a lot of work I need to do. So actually, maybe that isn't the best time to pray. Um, and I run. But then there's times where I think, God, I don't want to deal with this. Um, but I know that if I don't, this is going to be here every time I come to you. This is going to sit in between you and me, God. And, and what am I doing anyways? God, I know better than this. I know because I've learned over and over and over again in the last 25 years that we've had a relationship. Every time we get to this place, you're right. Every time we get to this place, there is joy when I simply agree with you when I embrace your ways, when I give up my sin and give it to you. All right, God, I'm sorry. Um, I need to make this right. I'm sorry to you. Let's talk about how I can make this right with other people. God, I don't want to hide this. I don't want to be in the darkness. I don't want, I don't want this uncleanness to continue to defile everything else in my life. And I hope for you, this gives you a pathway out of where you are now, back into the presence of God. When God says at the end of verse 17, I struck you, blight, mildew, and hail, then he says, yet you did not turn to me. You see here, like that's the purpose. God wants things to dry up in our lives. God wants things to get bad for us so that we would come back, so that we would stop holding on to the crap that this life says is worth living for. God wants us to come back. He wants you to decide right now, okay, God, I am. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come to you. This is God's active discipline, and it's a manifestation of his love. And this is true both for Christians who are wandering away from God and for, for non-Christians. If you're here um, and you don't know God, this is God saying, look, life apart from me is going to be fraught with disappointment. But if you come to me, I will give you power. I will give you peace. Um, we're going to look at that here in just a sec. Um, because for some of you, um, this is your past. Okay, it's not so much the present, it's the past. And this message from God is saying, don't go back to that. He's telling the people who are three months into the building project, he's saying, look, just don't go back to that. Don't go back to ignoring me. Because you remember life, like, remember life back then? That's not what you want. Um, but for some of you, this actually is the present. This isn't the past. And here's the good news, is that your current present can become the past if you will right now turn back to God. So right now, your present, whatever it is, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whoever you've done it with, 
if you turn from that and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want to come back to you. If you say that right now, then one second later, that's now your past. God is honest about our past. Because that's the only way that we actually can deal with it and move forward. And he doesn't stay there. He's honest about the past, but he's hopeful about the present future. He's hopeful about the present and the future. Verse 18 says, Consider from this day onward. And he even names it the 24th day of the ninth month. And then he goes back to the past. Since the day of the Lord's foundation was laid, consider, is a seed in the barn? No. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the honor tree have yielded nothing. So again, that's just God throwing back at the past again, just to remind you. But then he says, but from this day on, I will bless you. God is saying, because you have turned. To Israel, he's saying, because you've turned, you are building this temple. You are putting me first. You are creating a house where I can live in your midst. Right? You're creating space in your life for me to live and to be your God and your king. That's what it looks like for us. It's creating space in our lives. And it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of stupid to think about it that way, but I mean, we're trying to approach what does this look like practically. Um, it looks like you putting God first. It looks like you treating him as though he's God, as though what he thinks is more important than what anybody else thinks. It looks like you spending time with him. It looks like you, I mean, wanting to honor him in your life. Because that's what the temple was. It was the throne room of God and his palace in the midst of his people. And it was the place where the people could come and actually experience a relationship with him. They would offer to God their, their, their worship, their sacrifices. What God would give them is peace. God would give them forgiveness. And so what God is saying here is, from this day forward, it's a new beginning. From this day forward, the past is the past. And it's going to be different going forward. God is saying, look, in the past, I cursed you, but now no more, because you've come back to me. Now it's different. Because now you've come back, you're following me. Now you're clean from this day forward. And God says, I am going to bless you from this day on. That's the assurance that, that we have. And it's interesting because now cleanness, it's a gift. Right? They don't earn this. Because again, when unclean things touch stuff, it makes more uncleanness. But what's here, though, it's God's forgiveness that makes us clean because none of us are clean enough. Even when we confess our sins, even when we turn toward God, we're not perfect. Right? Our lives are still characterized by sin and defilement. And this is where we need to understand Jesus. Like, this is the place where we have to see that, like, this is why God showed up in Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the answer for us today. God isn't telling us to go and build a temple today like he did to ancient Israel. 
God is saying to us, go to the one who is building a new temple. Go to the one who came to build the church. Join that community of people. Like that's, Jesus is the answer. And he's the answer because Jesus actually suffered for our uncleanness. Jesus took our sins from both past, present, and future. And this is why we can be cleansed. There's a story specifically about this, about Jesus in the Bible. And I want to show it to you. It's a story of Jesus and a leper. Uh, There was someone who had leprosy back in Jesus' day. And in Jesus' day, there was no greater sign of uncleanness than leprosy. Because if you were a leper, you had uncleanness, not just because of stuff that you did, but you like wore your uncleanness all over your body. You could see lepers because you'd see the decaying flesh on their body. You'd see the, the white. and the, I mean, it was, just, it was just this awful thing. They took lepers and they threw them out. They cast them out into leper colonies in the outskirts of town so they couldn't defile anyone else because their uncleanness was contagious. And this leper comes to Jesus. And I want to tell you what happened. Kneeling said to him, just 40 to 42, it says a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Move with pity. Now this is Jesus. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And so you have a healing story here, right? Jesus healed all kinds of people. There were times when people would come near to Jesus and he would speak healing over them. There were times when people were far away and Jesus with a word could say, go your way, your daughter is healed. Go your way, your son is healed. With the leper, verse 41, it says, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. Jesus touched the leper. And everyone who would have heard this story up to this point knew exactly what should have happened. Jesus touches the leper and Jesus becomes unclean. Jesus touches the leper and the thing that was unclean and defiled then defiles and discolors and defiles the one who is clean. But that's not what happened. Friends, that's not what happened. Instead of having two people who are clean or unclean, Jesus' touch makes the leper clean. Instead of going from one unclean to two unclean, you go from Jesus, who is immaculately clean, who brings cleansing to this leper. And with Jesus, it's a new day. With Jesus, there are new beginnings. Because Jesus is not just temple holiness. Jesus isn't just the kind of holiness that comes when you are sprinkled with holy water. But Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is God holiness. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he has a kind of holiness that that overcomes and overpowers all of our uncleannesses all of our sins, 
all of our defilement. When we, as sinful and broken and unclean people, come into contact with Jesus, he makes us clean. This this is why we follow Jesus. This is why the gospel is good news, because no matter who you are, no matter what you have, whether it's a physical malady like leprosy, or if it's something that is buried so deep in your heart that no one knows about it, you can come to Jesus and ask him to cleanse you. And he will touch you today. Jesus is saying here, from this day forward, everything is different. I don't care what you've done. If you come to me, you are now my son. You are now my daughter. I will love you from this day forward into eternity. When you see Jesus do this, I think you want to follow him, don't you? When you see Jesus do this, doesn't this make you want to take whatever it is that holds you back and bring it to him? This is Jesus' free gift. It's free to us. But it's not free to him. It's not free to him. In fact, let me tell you the rest of the story. Verse 45, just a couple verses later, it says, The leper then went out from here and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every corner. So what happens here? Jesus comes into contact with this unclean person. They touch. Jesus' cleanness goes to the leper and he is set free and he is cleansed. And what does he do? He goes into the town and spreads the news. This leper has been restored to community. He is truly healed. He is truly cleansed. He is back in the community of people. <clears throat> they might say, hey, you're a leper. Wait a minute, you're not anymore. He'd be like, no, I'm not. Jesus healed me. Look, 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 I'm healed. Maybe his family embraced him for the first time in a decade. Finally, someone was there to hug him. People were willing to touch him. Jesus started something that snowballed in his life. And yet, what happened to Jesus? Jesus is cast out of community. And he is cast into desolate places. Jesus has to now be on the outskirts of the town where no one else is. Jesus is cast out because of his contact with the defilement of the leper. Friends, don't we see here a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus? I mean, this is just a picture. This is just a foretaste of the price that Jesus would have to pay. Because Jesus doesn't just take our uncleanness into the desert. Jesus isn't just kicked out and has to go and spend all his time in Anza Borrego. No, no. Jesus, he isn't just cast out of community, but he's and hangs on a cross for us. 
He isn't just cast out of community, but he's cast out of the presence of God. He experiences God's punishment and wrath. Why? For our sin. He pays the price for our sin on the cross. He takes our defilement. That's what we should have been. We should be there on the cross. We should be suffering for our sin. And yet Jesus took our punishment, paid for all of our sins. He took all of our unholiness, all of our uncleanness. And he paid the price so that we could come back to God. And so what is free to us is not free to Jesus. But he did it because he loves you. He did it willingly. He did it knowingly. He came for this purpose. Friends, if you understand that, then you can receive the personal and particular love of Jesus. This is what it means to have a relationship with him. It's living in response to that. It's living in response to the fact that he goes into desolate places so that we can enter back into community, so that we don't have to hide, but we can be fully known and fully accepted just as we are. Man, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. This is what makes us hope in the midst of our disappointment. This is what makes us hope in the present. Because this is true for you no matter what you're experiencing. This is true for you no matter where you are or what you're doing. If you turn to God, he says, from this day forward, I will bless you. And that blessing, there are times when that blessing means that your circumstances change. But I can tell you that every single time that means that in the midst of your circumstances, you can have hope and strength. More than fixing your problems, God wants you to experience him in your problems. Experience that he is enough. Because after God comes to you and meets you in your disappointment, God then wants to send you out into this world so that other people can see that yes, you're disappointed. Yes, you're frustrated. Yes, you're angry. Yes, you wish things were different. But you have a hope that brings a joy because God is enough. This is what you have to offer to other people. You don't have to offer that your life worked out perfectly. You don't have to offer that your life made sense. You don't have to offer that things go well for you. You just have to offer that I have hope that is stronger than my disappointment. And it comes directly from God because I walk and I live with a God who is honest about my past, hopeful about my present and future. And he has promised me that from this day forward, I will bless you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this hope. Thank you for coming to touch us in our lives when we turn to follow you. Meet us now, Jesus. Come to each one of us. Help us to see what it is that we're holding on to that keeps us from you. And let us just give it to you.
Help us to come to you anyways, forsaking the stuff that we hold on to and embracing you because of your great love. Jesus, I pray that you would touch people here who aren't Christians and show them this path that leads to you. Show them your blessing. Let them turn, confess their sins, and receive your forgiveness and blessing. And I pray, too, for the Christians that are here that are hiding. I pray for the Christians that are here who are they are about to make a bad decision. Um, they're on the verge of compromising everything because they just they want something more than you. Would you call them back? Remind them of the misery of life apart from you, both now and in eternity. And Jesus, call them back by your incredible sacrificial love so that they too would confess their sins and come running. Jesus, we love you. Help us to live with this hope and to share it with others. We pray this in your name. Amen.